Chapter forty four of The Egoist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson. The Egoist by George Meredith. Chapter forty four. Dr. Middleton the ladies Eleanor and Isabel, and Mr. Dale. Clara looked up at the flying clouds. She travelled with them now, and tasted freedom, but she prudently forbore to vex her father. She held herself in reserve. They were summoned by the midday bell. Few were speakers at the meal, few were eaters. Clara was impelled to join it by her desire to study Mrs. Mountstuart's face. Willoughby was obliged to preside. It was a meal of an assembly of mutes and plates that struck the ear like the well-known sound of a collection of offerings in church after an impressive exhortation from the pulpit. A sally of Colonel de Craye's met the reception given to a charity boy's muffled burst of animal spirits in the silence of the sacred edifice. Willoughby tried politics with Dr. Middleton, whose regular appetite preserved him from uncongenial speculations when the hour for appeasing it had come, and he alone did honour to the dishes replying to his host times are bad you say and we have a ministry doing with us what they will well sir and that being so and opposition a manner of kicking them into greater stability it is the time for wise men to retire within themselves with the steady determination of the seed in the earth to grow repose upon nature sleep in firm faith and abide the seasons that is my counsel to the weaker party the counsel was excellent but it killed the topic dr middleton's appetite was watched for the signal to rise and breathe freely and such is the grace accorded to a good man of untroubled conscience engaged in doing his duty to himself that he perceived nothing of the general restlessness he went through the dishes calmly and as calmly he quoted milton to the ladies eleanor and isabel when the company sprung up all at once upon his closing his repast vernon was taken away from him by willoughby Mrs. Mountstuart beckoned covertly to Clara. Willoughby should have had something to say to him, Dr. Middleton thought. The position was not clear. But the situation was not disagreeable, and he was in no serious hurry, though he wished to be enlightened. This, Dr. Middleton said to the spinster aunts as he accompanied them to the drawing-room, shall be no lost day for me if I may devote the remainder of it to you. "'The thunder, we fear, is not remote,' murmured one. "'We fear it is imminent,' sighed the other. 
they took to chanting in alternation we are accustomed to peruse our willoughby and we know him by a shadow from his infancy to his glorious youth and his established manhood he was ever the soul of chivalry duty duty first the happiness of his family the well-being of his dependents if proud of his name it was not an overweening pride it was founded in the conscious possession of exalted qualities he could be humble when occasion called for it dr middleton bowed to the litany feeling that occasion called for humbleness from him let us hope he said with unassumed penitence on behalf of his inscrutable daughter the ladies resumed vernon whitford not of his blood is his brother a thousand instances letitia dale remembers them better than we that any blow should strike him that another should be in store for him it seems impossible he can be quite misunderstood let us hope said dr middleton one would not deem it too much for the dispenser of goodness to expect to be a little looked up to when he was a child he one day mounted a chair and there he stood in danger would not let us touch him because he was taller than we and we were to gaze do you remember him eleanor i am the son of the house it was inimitable your feelings he would have your feelings he was fourteen when his cousin grace whitford married and we lost him they had been the greatest friends and it was long before he appeared among us he has never cared to see her since but he has befriended her husband never has he failed in generosity his only fault is his sensitiveness and that is his secret and that you are not to discover it is the same with him in manhood no one will accuse willoughby patterne of a deficiency of manliness but what is it he suffers as none suffer if he is not loved he himself is inalterably constant in affection what it is no one can say we have lived with him all his life and we know him ready to make any sacrifice only he does demand the whole heart in return and if he doubts he looks as we have seen him to-day shattered as we have never seen him look before we will hope said dr middleton this time hastily he tingled to say what it was he had it in him to solve perplexity in their inquiry he did say adopting familiar speech to suit the theme you know ladies we english come of a rough stock a dose of rough dealing in our youth does us no harm braces us otherwise we are likely to feel chilly we grow too fine where tenuity of stature is necessarily buffeted by gales namely in our self-esteem 
we are barbarians on a forcing soil of wealth in a conservatory of comfortable security but still barbarians so you see we shine at our best when we are plucked out of that to where hard blows are given in a state of war in a state of war we are at home our men are high-minded fellows scipios and good legionaries in the state of peace we do not live in peace our native roughness breaks out in unexpected places under extraordinary aspects tyrannies extravagances domestic exactions and if we have not had sharp early training within and without the old-fashioned island instrument to drill us into the civilization of our masters the ancients we show it by running here and there to some excess <clears throat> yet added the reverend doctor abandoning his effort to deliver a weighty truth obscurely for the comprehension of dainty spinster ladies the superabundance of whom in england was in his opinion largely the cause of our decay as a people yet i have not observed this ultra-sensitiveness in willoughby he has borne to hear more than i certainly no example of the frailty could have endured he concealed it said the ladies it is intense then is it a disease it bears no explanation it is mystic it is a cultus then a form of self-worship self they ejaculated but is not self indifferent to others is it self that craves for sympathy love and devotion he is an admirable host ladies he is admirable in all respects admirable must he be who can impress discerning women his lifelong housemates so favourably he is i repeat a perfect host he will be a perfect husband in all probability it is a certainty let him be loved and obeyed he will be guided that is the secret for her whom he so fatally loves that if we had dared we would have hinted to her she will rule him through her love of him and through him all about her and it will not be a rule he submits to but a love he accepts if she could see it if she were a metaphysician sighed dr middleton but a sensitiveness so keen as his might fretted by an unsympathizing mate in the end become for the best of us is mortal callous he would perhaps feel as much or more he would still be tender but he might grow outwardly hard both ladies looked up at dr middleton as they revealed the dreadful prospect it is the story told of corns he said sad as they the three stood drooping the ladies with an attempt to digest his remark the reverend doctor in dejection lest his gallantry should no longer continue to wrestle with his good sense 
he was rescued the door opened and a footman announced mr dale miss eleanor and miss isabel made a sign to one another of raising their hands they advanced to him and welcomed him pray be seated mr dale you have not brought us bad news of our Letitia. so rare is the pleasure of welcoming you here mr dale that we are in some alarm when as we trust it should be a matter for unmixed congratulation has dr corney been doing wonders i am indebted to him for the drive to your house ladies said mr dale a spare close-buttoned gentleman with an indian complexion deadened in the sick chamber it is unusual for me to stir from my precincts the reverend dr middleton mr dale bowed he seemed surprised you live in a splendid air sir observed the reverend doctor i can profit little by it sir replied mr dale he asked the ladies will sir willoughby be disengaged they consulted he is with vernon we will send to him the bell was rung i have had the gratification of making the acquaintance of your daughter mr dale a most estimable lady said dr middleton mr dale bowed she is honoured by your praises sir to the best of my belief i speak as a father she merits them hitherto i have had no doubts of Letitia exclaimed the ladies and spoke of her as gentleness and goodness incarnate hitherto i have devoutly thought so said mr dale surely she is the very sweetest nurse the most devoted of daughters as far as concerns her duty to her father i can say she is that ladies in all her relations mr dale it is my prayer he said the footman appeared he announced that sir willoughby was in the laboratory with mr whitford and the door locked domestic business the ladies remarked you know willoughby's diligent attention to affairs mr dale he is well mr dale inquired in excellent health body and mind but dear mr dale he is never ill ah oh, for one to hear that who is never well and mr whitford is quite sound sound the question alarms me for myself said dr middleton sound as our constitution the credit of the country the reputation of our prince of poets i pray you to have no fear for him mr dale gave the mild little sniff of a man thrown deeper into perplexity he said mr whitford works his head he is a hard student he may not be always if i may so put it at home on worldly affairs dismiss that defamatory legend of the student mr dale and take my word for it that he who persistently works his head has the strongest for all affairs ah your daughter sir is here 
my daughter is here sir and will be most happy to present her respects to the father of her friend miss dale they are friends very cordial friends mr dale administered another feebly pacifying sniff to himself letitia he sighed in apostrophe and swept his forehead with a hand seen to shake the ladies asked him anxiously whether he felt the heat of the room and one offered him a smelling bottle he thanked them i can hold out until sir willoughby comes we fear to disturb him when his door is locked mr dale but if you wish it we will venture on a message you have really no bad news of our letitia she left us hurriedly this morning without any leave-taking except a word to one of the maids that your condition required her immediate presence my condition and now her door is locked to me we have spoken through the door and that is all i stand sick and stupefied between two locked doors neither of which will open it appears to give me the enlightenment i need more than medicine dear me cried dr middleton i am struck by your description of your position mr dale it would aptly apply to our humanity of the present generation and were these the days when i sermonized i could propose that it should afford me an illustration for the pulpit for my part when doors are closed i try not their locks and i attribute my perfect equanimity health even to an uninquiring acceptation of the fact that they are closed to me i read my page by the light i have on the contrary the world of this day if i may presume to quote you for my purpose is heard knocking at those two locked doors of the secret things on each side of us and is beheld standing sick and stupefied because it has got no response to its knocking why sir let the world compare the diverse fortunes of the beggar and the postman knock to give and it is opened unto you knock to crave and it continues shut i say carry a letter to your locked door and you shall have a good reception but there is none that is handed out for which reason mr dale swept a perspiring forehead and extended his hand in supplication i am an invalid dr middleton he said i am unable to cope with analogies i have but strength for the slow digestion of facts for facts we are bradypeptics to a man sir we know not yet if nature be a fact or an effort to master one the world has not yet assimilated the first fact it stepped on we are still in the endeavour to make good blood of the fact of our being pressing his hands at his temples mr dale moaned my head twirls i did unwisely to come out 
i came on an impulse i trust honourable i am unfit i cannot follow you dr middleton pardon me nay sir let me say from my experience of my countrymen that if you do not follow me and can abstain from abusing me in consequence you are magnanimous the reverend doctor replied hardly consented to let go the man he had found to indemnify him for his gallant service of acquiescing as a mute to the ladies though he knew his breathing robustfulness to be as an east wind to weak nerves and himself an engine of punishment when he had been torn for a day from his books miss eleanor said the enlightenment you need mr dale can we enlighten you i think not he answered faintly i think i will wait for sir willoughby or mr whitford if i can keep my strength or could i exchange i fear to break down two words with the young lady who is was miss middleton my daughter sir she shall be at your disposition i will bring her to you dr middleton stopped at the window she it is true may better know the mind of miss dale than i but i flatter myself i know the gentleman better i think mr dale addressing you as the lady's father you will find me a persuasive i could be an impassioned advocate in his interests mr dale was confounded the weakly sapling caught in a gust falls back as he did advocate he said he had little breath his impassioned advocate i repeat for i have the highest opinion of him you see sir i am acquainted with the circumstances i believe dr middleton half turned to the ladies we must until your potent inducements mr dale have been joined to my instances and we have overcome what feminine scruples there may be treat the circumstances as not generally public our strephon may be chargeable with shyness but if for the present it is incumbent on us in proper consideration for the parties not to be nominally precise it is hardly requisite in this household that we should be he is now for protesting indifference to the state i fancy we understand that phase of amatory frigidity frankly mr dale i was once in my life myself refused by a lady and i was not indignant merely indifferent to the marriage tie my daughter has refused him sir temporarily it would appear that she has declined the proposal he was at liberty he could honourably his best friend and nearest relative is your guarantee i know it i hear so i am informed of that i have heard of the proposal and that he could honourably make it 
still i am helpless i cannot move until i am assured that my daughter's reasons are such as a father need not underline does the lady perchance equivocate i have not seen her this morning i rise late i hear an astounding account of the cause for her departure from patterne and i find her door locked to me no answer it is that she had no reasons to give and she feared the demand for them ladies dolorously exclaimed mr dale we guess the secret we guess it they exclaimed in reply and they looked smilingly as dr middleton looked she had no reasons to give mr dale spelled these words to his understanding then sir she knew you not adverse undoubtedly by my high esteem for the gentleman she must have known me not adverse but she would not consider me a principal she could hardly have conceived me an obstacle i am simply the gentleman's friend a zealous friend let me add mr dale put out an imploring hand it was too much for him pardon me i have a poor head and your daughter the same sir we will not measure it too closely but i may say my daughter the same sir and likewise may i not add these ladies mr dale made sign that he was overfilled where am i and letitia refused him temporarily let us assume will it not partly depend on you mr dale but what strange things have been happening during my daughter's absence from the cottage cried mr dale betraying an elixir in his veins i feel that i could laugh if i did not dread to be thought insane she refused his hand and he was at liberty to offer it my girl we are all on our heads the fairy tales were right and the lesson books were wrong but it is really it is really very demoralizing an invalid and i am one and no momentary exhilaration will be taken for the contrary clings to the idea of stability order the slightest disturbance of the wonted course of things unsettles him why for years i've been prophesying it and for years i have had everything against me and now when it is confirmed i am wondering that i must not call myself a fool and for years dear mr dale this union in spite of counter-currents and human arrangements has been our willoughby's constant preoccupation said miss eleanor his most cherished aim said miss isabel the name was not spoken by me said dr middleton but it is out and perhaps better out if we would avoid the chance of mystifications i do not suppose we are seriously committing a breach of confidence 
though he might have wished to mention it to you first himself i have it from willoughby that last night he appealed to your daughter mr dale not for the first time if i apprehend him correctly and unsuccessfully he despairs i do not supposing that is your assistance vouchsafed to us and i do not despair because the gentleman is a gentleman of worth of acknowledged worth you know him well enough to grant me that i will bring you my daughter to help me in sounding his praises dr middleton stepped through the window to the lawn on an elastic foot beaming with the happiness he felt charged to confer on his friend mr whitford ladies it passes all wonders mr dale gasped willoughby's generosity does pass all wonders they said in chorus the door opened lady bush and lady culmer were announced End of chapter 44 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey